This is Hal Hester, lead pastor of Vine Life, and this is our podcast, The Empowered Word. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective on what God is doing in your life. Please enjoy the message. All right. What a great start to things. Looking forward to sharing with you. You know, Christmas is such a special time just in general, right? I mean, even before we talk about the the significance of what Christmas is all about, uh, just the simple fact that in the way that we kind of stop, we pause as a culture, you know, and give time to us. I mean, even the Grinch, I mean, Walmart, you know, is closed tonight and tomorrow. I mean, what could possibly make Walmart close? Uh, In fact, I think, you know, that's probably one of the greatest evidences of Jesus' birth is just simply that Walmart closes. But uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding about that. But you know, over the last couple of years, it's been kind of interesting watching things in our society, kind of some of the wrestling over Christmas, you know, is it all right to say Merry Christmas or not? I think that kind of people are leaning toward yes, and you can say Happy Hanukkah to me or Kwanzaa or whatever else, you know, that is significant to you. Uh, But, uh, you know, we we just still are kind of sometimes in some ways hung up about what about Christmas and what do we do with it? Are we going to lose it to, you know, commercialism and which, funny enough, you know, some of the ways that we start to try to address the, commer- you know, the commercial side of it is that we come up with our own slogans, like, Jesus is the reason for the season. And then retailers take and put it on their shopping bags. So, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know if we can really fix that part. But, you know, in the words of the Grinch, mentioning the Grinch earlier, the meaning of Christmas isn't found in a store. The meaning of Christmas is so much more. It comes without ribbons. It comes without tags. It comes without packages, boxes, or bags. So with one last Dr. Seuss rhyme, let me get to this message so I can get you out of here on time. (laughs) You know, as a kid, I fell in love with Christmas. And I don't mean, you know, because of Santa or the presents, although I will assure you that I was giddy about both of those things. I'm already a naturally early riser. I would get up with my dad at the crack of dawn, usually about 5 o'clock in the morning normally. So if there was Christmas to boot, like, you know, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning, every bump in the night, every little sound uh, in the living room, I was just sure I needed to get up that I had overslept or something like that. I'm sure you know the drill. But actually, the thing that drew my attention most about Christmas early on actually was the manger scene in our home. It just captivated me. And, and the interesting thing about our manger scene growing up, it, was, it had been my grandmother's, and so it was very old. It had come from Italy and... Uh, you know, uh, it would have been easy for my parents to say, hands off. But instead, my parents were intrigued as, as I just wanted to interact with that. And, and I would literally like, uh, you know, sit there and act out the manger scene. Uh, I'm sure that a number of those pieces are probably damaged today because of me. But even though it was very old, my parents always let me have the freedom to engage that. And so likewise... That same manger scene is in my house today, 
and although it is much older today because, well, I am, <laughs> I let my grandchildren play with that same manger scene. And I really enjoy watching them engage as they interact with it, acting out to the best of their understanding what Christmas is about. As I watch them interact, here's the thing that I, I really believe that's happening in that moment is that they are internalizing the story just as I did, that it is becoming a part of them and who they are. I want you to take a moment to listen to the Christmas story afresh, not as tradition, but to internalize this message, God with us. In Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, we read these words, And now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, I lost my place, <laughs> to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Blessed be the reading of God's holy word. I don't know about you, but I have often pondered why God chose Joseph and Mary to be the holy family. I don't mean that in a, in a judgmental kind of way. I mean, I am, I am just intrigued by what qualifies a person, what kind of inheritance or heritage must they have, who were they as people. And in fact, the other night, my family and I, we were actually, we were just sitting down watching the nativity and as we were watching that movie, uh, one of the things my wife commented about was the simple fact of the, the fact that Zacharias, John the Baptist, dad, that, that whole family, that these two families were connected. And she brought up the, the whole thought of, you know, how interesting, what a, what a family heritage as a whole, like that they would have both of those children born within the same larger family. Like, what does that tell us? about the nature of that family or their relationships with one another, what God was doing with them. What made them the ideal couple to bring up Jesus? Our first clue, I think, comes in their reaction to the news about Mary being chosen. When Mary received the news, we're told in Luke chapter 1 that she asked some clarifying questions, but then her whole sense was a response of great faith and obedience. Whereas Zechariah, the priest, the father of John the Baptist, 
did not believe the angel when he was told about his son John the Baptist, and so he was struck silent until the time of John's birth. Then here we read in this text about Joseph. It says that being a just man, he did not want to subject Mary to shame. I want you to let that sink in for just a moment. It says that he was just. You know, typically when I hear that word justice, especially in our world, but also among the religious, among people that I think of as Pharisees, all too often justice is tied up with concepts of hurting or shaming people. Their sense of justice often leads them to be cruel to those who simply sin differently than them. But here, when it tells us that Joseph being just, it's telling us that he was just in the same manner that God is just, the God who chooses mercy as his first response. Later, when he heard from the angel, just like Mary, his response was faith and obedience. When I look at their responses side by side, Joseph and Mary both, I don't know about you, but I, I feel confident the reason God chose them was because of how the kind of hearts that they had that would respond to God in such a way. I would suggest to you that they showed more spiritual maturity as young teenagers than some do after a lifetime of walking with God. Their sense of extraordinary trust, their willing and obedient hearts, even the sense of justice that they had shows great maturity. I'm not saying that they were perfect parents. I'm saying that they were the ideal parents because of their heart for following after God and that their sense of justice was full of mercy. You know, the other thing I see about them as parents is that their role as parents to Jesus was not inconsequential to who Jesus was becoming. You know, oftentimes when it comes to, uh, you know, who we are in the Lord, we think as being inconsequential to the people around us. We tend to only think about who we are and our relationship with Jesus in reference to our own selves, whether we're good or not, whether or not we're going to go to heaven or not, things like that. But their relationship was not inconsequential to who Jesus was becoming. They were about to have a great impact on Him. He was having certainly a great impact on them. I would say to every one of us here tonight, in your relationships, from parenting to friendship, or for some of us, as you're getting older and you find yourself sometimes in the place of guardianship of your own parents, your role in the lives of the people in your life is never inconsequential. Not to who you are becoming, not to whom they are becoming, who they will be. 
those relationships, who we are in them, that's significant. You see, the idea of God with us is not just about God's Son dwelling in the midst of those first century people, but is actually, in fact, all about the mission of Messiah. See, the purpose for God dwelling in our midst cannot be reduced to Christmas and mangers, should not be reduced simply to the forgiveness of sins, although that is very consequential to us. But actually, the primary purpose for His coming and living among us was to impart the kingdom of God, His life, to His disciples so that it might be passed on from generation to generation to generation, from disciple to disciple for all of history. You see, if all God wanted to do was forgive us, He didn't have to make His dwelling among us. Instead, forgiveness, forgiveness is simply the tool He used to do the most important thing, to bring us into His presence. The purpose of forgiveness was that we might dwell with Him and He might dwell with us forever. Let me say that again. The primary reason He forgave you was so that you might dwell with Him. From there, the incarnational nature of the gospel is you. You and I living in Him, becoming like Him, so that you and I might pass on not just His forgiveness, but actually passing on a way of life, inviting people in the here and now to enter into eternal life from here on out. Let me ask you a question that I'd like you to ponder. What brought you here this evening? You might be saying to yourself, well, it's Christmas Eve, duh. But I want you to ponder what, what's your what? What's your what this evening? What made you decide to join us for Christmas Eve. It could be something as simple as, this is my church home, and I just simply came to gather with my church and to worship together. That'd be a good reason. It could be that this is your Christmas Eve tradition. I, I grew up in a home where uh, our church attendance was somewhat you know, erratic, uh, uh, sometimes non-existent. But we were always there for Christmas Eve, midnight mass, we would be there. It was very significant to our family. It was a big part of my growing up. And so maybe that's, maybe that's it for you. Maybe you don't even have a regular church home. Maybe you do have a regular church home. But it's just simply, it's really significant to your Christmas tradition to gather together on Christmas Eve and to go to church. That'd be a good reason. That's a good reason to be here tonight. Or maybe, maybe you've been roped into it. <laughs> maybe you're the guest of someone who calls this church home, and, or maybe it's somebody else's Christmas tradition, and, and you're, you know, maybe you're in the, in the early stages of dating, so you want to do the right thing or whatever, you know. And maybe you just found yourself here tonight not 
with any of those particular things in mind, but simply you're a guest. And I want to say to you, thank you for being here tonight. I hope that as you're here that what you're experiencing, you might sense the presence of the Lord. But whatever brought you here tonight, whatever your what is, here's what I hope it becomes. My hope is that you would take home this one single thought today. That Christmas is not about a baby in a manger or even the presents under the tree, but it's actually about God wanting to be with you and with me. That is what Christmas is all about. And I hope this Christmas and every other day after that you'll make your heart his home. Let's stand together, shall we? Have the worship team go ahead and come on out. I promised to make it short tonight, didn't I? See? I can do that once in a great while. Don't get used to it. You know, the imagery in the Bible is varied. There are many beautiful images of what Jesus is like. One of the most prominent and one of my favorites is that of Jesus being the light of the world, the light in the life, the light that shines in the darkness and could not be overcome. Tonight, I want to invite you as I'm lighting this candle and I'm going to pass this flame to others and they're going to pass it along to you. And as we pass this flame, I want you to think about the light of the world, Jesus, and how, you know, we have been invited to pass on that flame, to pass on that light one to another, just like the good news spreading from our hearts to the hearts of our friends and family, that you and I would be the good news that is Jesus, that is God with us, that cannot be extinguished. I hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you did, there's two things you could do for me. First, subscribe to our channel. That way the most recent podcast will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And secondly, if this ministry has impacted you, would you help us to continue to reach others by clicking on the link in the description to give now. Until next time, thank you so much for listening to The Empowered Word.